Let's praise the Lord. It's good to be in God's house this morning, amen. And we are going to continue this morning with the class that we started last Sunday. We're talking about the end times, amen. And I, I did talk just briefly before we got up here, just what was on my heart after prayer this morning, but we approach the topic of the end times with a great deal of humility, amen, because we're talking about things that haven't happened yet. And so I don't believe it's right for anybody on earth to be able to claim they understand everything in Revelation exactly, amen. There's even things in Revelation that John got ready to write and the Spirit said, shut it up, don't write about it, amen. He, he was going to write about what the seven thunders meant and the Spirit said, no, close the book, don't write, don't tell them, they don't need to know. Amen. And, and we can speculate, but the truth of the matter is, is that we must talk about these things because it's important. Amen. We can't just cherry pick the parts from God's word that sound good and feel nice. Amen. But we have to talk about all of God's word. And I approached this morning with a great deal of not just humility, I guess, but with both hope and with fear and trembling as well. Because... I have a responsibility to preach these things. That's my responsibility. Your responsibility is to listen, to learn, and to change, amen, to grow, amen, and to be determined, amen, because what we're talking about is the end times. After this, there is nothing left, amen. So I encourage you this morning, take notes up. After life class, if you've got questions, please come and talk to me, amen, amen. So today, as we talk about the end times, we're going to talk about what we commonly call the rapture. And uh, there's a bit of controversy, controversy behind it, amen. Some people do find it controversial to talk about the rapture. And we don't want to be controversial just for the sake of it. We don't seek to try, <laughs> we don't seek to try and make problems for people. We don't seek to make people sad or upset. We don't want to put people off or anything like that, but we must speak the truth. Amen. We have to stand for what is true. Because if we don't, then why are we even doing what we are doing? Amen. And, and the apostolic church, we often do find ourselves standing alone for truth. Amen. And today is going to be no exception. You know, in the world that we live in today, not just in the world, but in modern Christianity you know, the most valued criteria for a good church seems to be tolerance rather than truth. You know, you just have to tolerate my lifestyle, tolerate my choices because Jesus didn't judge. His word says, judge not. Right? And so we, there's this, it's been twisted that we have to be tolerant, but we, 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 we elevate tolerance at the expense of truth. We sacrifice truth on the altar of trying to be tolerant, amen, and, and, and brotherly agreement seems to be very prevalent in modern Christianity as well. Well, you know, you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and, and we sacrifice biblical accuracy. It's like, well, hang on. The Bible is truth, and if one of us says one thing and someone says the other thing, if one of them doesn't line up with the Bible, one of them's wrong, and there's no two ways around that. Amen. 
Either we live our life according to God's word or we don't. We can't just try and pick the parts that we like, amen? We've got to be submitted to all of God's word, amen? And so the rapture is part of that. You know, the will of God is that we know truth. That's why he gave us his word. It's his will that we follow it. It's his will that we know what to do, amen? And that's why we have his word because truth does matter, amen? For many, many years, the apostolic church has stood alone on the truth of the experience of new, the new birth experience of water and of spirit. You know, John 3, 5. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For years, the church has stood on that. The apostolic church has stood on that. Acts 2, 38. For a long time, the church has been the only church, the apostolic church, that stands for those truths on matters of holiness. That we are to live a separated life. That we are to be set apart for God's glory. That the things we watch, the things we do, the places we go, the things that we wear, that these things actually matter to God is important. And for many, many years, the apostolic church, again, has been the only church that has stood on those principles and said, we will not move from what God's Word teaches. That's not popular. Hello? It's not. But yet we have to preach God's word. And, and I said earlier, in, when, before we went on live stream, I said how as, as the pastor of the church, as the watchman, I have to tell the truth. Because if I don't, God requires it at my hand. Amen. Amen. And, and so new birth experience, the apostolic church has stood alone. Holiness, the apostolic church has often stood alone. And now it seems that as time goes on, as we await for the second coming of Jesus Christ, it seems that on this too, the apostolic church must be prepared to stand alone. Because there are churches out there that say, ah, oh, Jesus isn't really coming back. There's whole organizations out there that say, no, 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 most of Revelation is just a story. It's not going to happen. So the apostolic church has to be prepared to stand for that as well amen and and these things shouldn't surprise us because these three truths in scripture you know they've been tied together justification sanctification and glorification they have been eternally bound together in scripture you cannot separate them amen as a matter of fact hebrews <clears throat> hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28 says this so christ was offered once to bear the sins of many that's justification right? That's our salvation experience. That's how we are saved because Christ came to bear our sins. To those who eagerly await for Him, to those who eagerly wait for Him, well, that's sanctification, right? That's understanding that once we are saved, we ought to live our lives eagerly waiting for Jesus to come. Amen? He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. That's glorification, amen? You cannot separate these three things. You cannot separate justification, sanctification, or glorification, amen? They are bound together, or to put it in another way, the message of salvation and mankind's need for salvation, the message of living a holy life separated to the purpose of God, and the message of Jesus coming back for His church are tied together. You can't just toss the rapture out any more than you can just toss salvation out. They're tied together. 
all three of them work together, amen. And for those of us who are living according to God's word, in obedience to God's word, our justification was in the past, our sanctification is in the present, and our glorification is in the future. But you can't just toss the future out, amen. They're bound together in Scripture, the rapture, amen. So as I put up again the slide that I had last week, and I'll take you through the timeline again. Last week in week one, we spoke about the signs, the signs of the time. We understand that we are living in the last days, and we understand that by looking around at the world, just being observant and paying attention and understanding. We are seeing wars and rumors of wars. We are seeing famines. We are seeing pestilences. You know, in the world right now, they are worried because Ukraine and Russia together make up something like 40% of the world's grain supply. And they're not shipping because there's a war. There are going to be entire countries that will not just be worried about the price of a loaf of bread. There will be countries where you can't even find a loaf of bread. Famine. Pestilences. We've been through pestilences. We're in the middle of one right now. We're kind of coming out the tail end of one, amen? And so we look around and we see signs, but not only do we see signs in the world, but Jesus said, in, or sorry, Paul said in Timothy that men would be lovers of their own souls, right? And we see in society today, it's all about self. I love myself. I care for myself. It's all about my image and what I look like, amen? You can't tell me what to do because I love me and I'm important, but you'll recall that last week I said, you know, Christianity has never been about self-exaltation. It's been about self-abasement to Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. Right? But somehow, and it's a sign of the times, that message has been lost. And it creeps into the church. And we end up with people who travel from church to church waiting to hear something nice. The Bible says they have itching ears. Just te tell me something nice, pastor. And then when pastor says something they don't like, well, you know, I feel led of God to find another church. Hello? Right? Signs of the time. Today we're going to talk about the rapture. That is the next thing that is in God's timeline. And that's happening soon. Then we'll talk about the tribulation, which will go for seven years. That'll be next week. We'll talk about the millennium. It's a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on earth. Then we talk about the judgment, which is the end, and time ends. And that's finished. It's done. And then we talk about eternity. And that lasts forever, amen. Praise the Lord. So let's talk about the rapture. Who's ever heard of the book series called Left Behind? Anybody? Yeah, a few people. There's movies about it. There's books about it. It's um, been quite a phenomenal um, achievement, if you could put it like that, from the author and the novelist. It's a series of books that's been made into about four or five different movies as well, but the author is Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And uh, back in 2005, they released the 12th and final volume in the book. And now apparently the authors are starting on some prequel series and some bunch of other stuff to work on, amen. And these books have become perhaps one of the greatest phenomenon in the history of Christ Christian publishing. They've sold 62 million copies to date. That was unheard of from a Christian author. Christian authors just don't normally sell that many books, but 62 million books. It appeared consistently on the New York Times bestseller list. That was like, this is where authors want their books to appear. The New York Times bestseller list. 
and it's still being read by people from all walks of life. You know, the author, LaHaye, who was the biblical scholar, and Jenkins, who was the novelist, they've become millionaires several times over because of the success of the publishing of this book. And, you know, if, if you were to read a synopsis of the book, and what I mean by synopsis is like a brief overview of the book, one of them reads like this, the series, quote, the series features a Mission Impossible type team called the Tribulation Force. People whose wives, husbands, sons, daughters, or friends have vanished into thin air, as evidenced by piles of clothing, jewelry, and other personal effects. Members of the force realize that the prophesied rapture has occurred, and they have been left behind because they did not accept Jesus as their Savior. After committing their lives to Christ, I'll put that in air quotes, they try to win over the other left behind us during the seven-year period called the tribulation. They also have to fight the forces of the Antichrist and endure horrible wars and plagues and desolation that was prophesied in the book of Revelation. End quote. Did you notice anything wrong with that this morning? The Left Behind series even has one character who takes the mark of the beast on and then somehow gives their life to God and is saved. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says this in Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 and 11. The Bible says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. So this Left Behind series says, well, you know, this guy got the mark of the beast, but that's okay. Just give your life to Christ and you'll be saved. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Left Behind series, along with much of modern teaching on prophecy, you look through YouTube, there is just so much garbage there. Much of modern prophecy on teaching contains two fatal errors in biblical interpretation. And I say fatal because if you get them wrong, you get it wrong for eternity. Fatal. And so while we appreciate the motives of the writer, because I'm sure his motives were good. You know, his motives were to tell people, hey, Jesus is coming back. His motives were good, and while we appreciate the motives, we have to take issue with the creation that he's come up with because it's got mistakes, and it's not right. And if we fall into the trap of believing that it's right, we'll miss out. Amen? So let's talk about the rapture. It's wonderful. It's controversial, and it's happening. Amen? Down through the centuries, millions of Christians, myself included, have lived out their hours, days, and years with an expectation. It's not always in the forefront of their minds, but it's never far from their thoughts. It's always there. It kind of hovers just over the horizon of our daily responsibilities and cares. 
It's like when you get up in the early morning before the dawn and you see the first rays of sunshine shine across the mountains. You know, this hope, it walks down lonely, sorrowful, and sometimes torturous pathways with us. It is a silent companion and a comforting presence. A hope that through dry years and bleak landscapes, it's a hope that kind of just keeps bubbling up within from us. A, a hidden fountain, if you like, that brings refreshment and brings joy. It's, I'd, I'd like to call it a hope that is beyond all hope because we have things that we hope for. Amen. We hope that we have a good education. We hope that we have a good life. We hope that we have a good church service. Amen. But underneath, underpinning all of that is a deep abiding. The greatest hope that Christianity has ever had is that one day the rapture is going to happen. That in the very next breath, in the very next blink of an eye, in the very next tick of a clock, in the very next heartbeat, that thumps inside your chest. The very next rustle of a leaf, the very next time you exhale in a sigh, that suddenly the Lord Jesus Christ would descend from heaven with a shout and would call us home. Throughout the years, prisoners have looked through bars where they have been unjustly imprisoned, knowing that they have a hope. Slaves have looked up from the fields. Children have wondered at a sudden slant of sunlight through a sudden break in the clouds. Jesus is coming soon. It might be today. It might be tonight. It might be before I draw my very next breath. And for those who have that hope, we can look at, for example, our children playing in the sunlight and believe firmly in our hearts that they will not have to endure the monstrous horrors of the Great Tribulation. Because of that hope, we can sit at the bed of a loved one who is at death's door and know that while we might say goodbye to them down here, one day we are going to say goodbye to them up there. Amen. That we can cling to the hope that before our lives are ended, in an instant of time, we can meet again in the clouds. Because of that hope, we are able to impress on our young people and on our teenagers the importance of living a pure life in expectation of the Lord's sudden return. Because of the hope that we have, we are able to look up from our consuming labors, whether they are at home or whether they are in a career, when the dishes have piled up again and the house is looking messy again, when there is another client with another problem and another situation happening, underneath all of that lies a hope that one day it will not matter anymore because the church will be gone. And because of that hope, we draw sustaining energy and joy from the conviction that the Lord Jesus Christ could call us home today. This could be our very last Sunday service. 
that fills me with such joy and excitement. It is the only reason why I would ever want to miss a Sunday morning service is because I am around the throne with Jesus Christ, worshiping Him in the greatest worship service that has ever existed for all of eternity. Oh, what a joy and what a hope that we have. And, you know, we hold on to this hope for good reason because the promise was delivered by the Lord Himself. He said this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house, oh hallelujah, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, oh I'm getting excited. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus didn't make it difficult to understand. He wasn't ambiguous. He wasn't trying to be confusing. He said to his disciples, I'm going now, but I'm going for a purpose. And that purpose is so my church can get itself ready. And one day, one day, one day I'm coming back. And you're going to be with me. And every trial... Every pain, every heartache, every tear you have ever cried will be wiped away. And there will be joy and there will be excitement. And your back's not going to hurt anymore. You're never going to need to get dialysis ever again. Hallelujah. We are going to be with Jesus forever. The rapture. Oh, what a joy. And Paul wrote, in First Thessalonians, he confirmed what Jesus said. He said, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. It's not a maybe. It's not, I think this might happen. It's not, well, we're hoping that it's going to happen. No, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he goes on, then we, that's me right now, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we shall always be with the Lord. And Paul says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. I don't know about you, but I read that. And oh, it brings such a comfort to my soul. That's the verse that gets me out of my bed on Monday morning. That's the verse that gets me through my class doors every day of the week. Amen. That's the verse that when I get home, I've got to do some stuff around the house. That's the verse that gives me strength. Because one day, because I'm living faithfully for Jesus, one day Jesus will come back. One day Jesus is going to take us home. And I comfort myself with those words. And I want to comfort you with those words today. Jesus is coming back. Amen. This hope we have is the greatest hope that we could ever imagine. One day soon, Jesus will come 
to take his church away. Oh, I wonder if we could just lift our hands and thank the Lord for that right now. Jesus. Oh, I bless you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promise, Lord God. What a joy. What a privilege to serve you, Lord God. Lord, I, I joined with the apostles. They said, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly, Lord. Uh, Lord, I want to reach people, but I can't wait to see you. I want to grow a church, uh, but I can't wait to be with you, Lord. Uh, what a privilege, Lord Jesus. What a privilege, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. The issue of the rapture is critical to the apostolic church. It is not hard when you study church history to name the two most evangelical periods of church history. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6 that the first century church turned the world upside down with revival. And then in the last century, since the truth that we have of the infilling of the Holy Spirit and baptism in the name of Jesus, when they were discovered by the church in the early 1900s, when Brother William Seymour got up and he said, I believe God's Word says that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he got down on his hands and his knees and he buried his head underneath the pulpit and he prayed through until God filled him with the Spirit. When I don't remember the brother's name, but when he ran through the campground and he shouted, I've seen it. Baptism is in the name of Jesus. It set a fire that ignited around the world and has started the biggest revival we have ever seen since the day of Pentecost. Amen. Both of these great soul winning periods share another common characteristic. And it was their unshakable belief that Jesus Christ could come for his church at any time. And this belief in the at any moment or the eminent coming of Christ, it produces three vital effects in the church. The first thing it does is that it produces a holy living in an unholy society like ours. For we know that we must keep ourselves ready at all times for the rapture. It's not something that you can just get ready for on a Sunday and then just live how you want for the rest of the week. Because what if God comes on a Wednesday? What if he comes on a Saturday and you didn't have time to get to church to get your life right? No, when we believe with all our hearts that Jesus could come at any moment, it will produce holy living in the lives of the people who are true believers. Amen. Why? Because we live in an unholy society and that society would seek to influence us and to take us away and to draw us into its trap and it'll say it's okay. Hey, he's not coming back just yet. The Bible says there are those who say, all things will continue as they were since the creation, but one day it won't, and we need to be ready. And so when we believe that Jesus is coming back at any moment, it causes us, it makes us to live a holy life. 1 John 3, 3 says this, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure there is a constant reevaluation 
in the life of men and women who live for Jesus Christ to say, is my life holy? Is my life righteous? Can I be more like Jesus? Can I pursue him more? And we take stock and we think and before we make a decision, we go, is this going to glorify God? And am I going to be holy if I partake in this? Or am I not going to be ready for the rapture? We have to be holy. The second thing, that a belief in the imminent return of Jesus Christ produces in the church is this. It causes us to evaluate the way we live our lives, the way we spend our time, and the way we set our priorities. When you believe that Jesus Christ is just around the corner, all of a sudden, the things of this world just seem very, very, very irrelevant. And you begin to weigh it up. Well, hang on. You know, is that football game really more important than living for Jesus? I don't know. I'm not sure. What do you think? Is it really, really important that I miss church? Is it really, really important that I don't, you know, hello? Everything we do everything we say, every action we take with your spouse, with your loved ones, the atmospheres at homes, all this kind of stuff, all of a sudden it evaluates your life. Well, hang on, no, no, no. I don't want to cause anything in my home that might cause my kids to want to leave God. I don't want to do anything that causes problems and frictions. We've got to be ready. He could come back today. Evaluate your time. Evaluate your life. That's what a belief in the imminent return of Jesus Christ will do. All of a sudden, your priorities will completely change. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 13. He said, take heed, watch, and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Oh, my friends, hear me well now. You have the authority to decide what direction your life takes. You have the authority to decide what your priorities are. The master of the house has gone. You have free will. You can decide who you want to live for. You can decide what is important. You can decide what your family priorities are. You can even decide what church you want to attend. If you don't like this church, there's another church I'm sure that might suit. Amen. You have the ability to decide. But Jesus says, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Brothers and sisters, I can promise you there are going to be millions and millions and millions of people in the world who will cry out in that moment because Jesus didn't come at a convenient time for them. Hello? Jesus, if you could have just waited another year or so, just Jesus, just wait another six months. Don't you understand? I would get my life right if I knew you were coming back. Suddenly. Suddenly. Lest coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say 
to all, watch. Watch. The third thing, that a belief in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the at any moment return of Jesus Christ, the third thing that it produces in the church is it produces an evangelical church, an evangelistic church of soul-winning Christians. Because when we truly believe with all of our heart that Christ could return at any moment, we realize how crucial it is that others get saved before it is eternally too late. Jesus said this, or John said this rather, and anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What does that do to your heart this morning? i tell you what it does with my heart. I wouldn't want my worst enemy to face a situation like that. I want people to be saved. I want people to come to the Lord. I want people to have the same hope that I have. I don't want people to miss out. Amen. And as a church, we don't have much time. Jesus is coming at any moment. Hallelujah. What do we need to do to reach people? What do we need to do to reach our loved ones? What do we need to do to get our teenagers paying attention in church and living their life like Jesus could come back at any moment? moment Christians all around the world they refer to this hope that we have as the rapture of course that's not a bible word you won't find the rapture in the bible the bible simply talks about being caught up to meet him in the air But the word rapture kind of caught on as an unofficial title of the event because it denotes a sense of joy rather than a sense of fear at the prospect of being snatched away from the earth. The rapture is not something to be afraid of. We use the word rapture because it it evokes the emotion of joy in rapture. I'm raptured by it. It's joy. It's, 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 like, it's like a little child running up to their mom or their dad or their father, maybe their grandfather, and just getting swept up off the ground and into the arms. They have no power, no control, but it doesn't matter. There's so much joy because they're with someone they love. That is the hope that we have, the rapturing man. However, the terror of the rapture will be on the part of those who are left behind. For the rapture will happen in no time at all. There will be no warning. There will be no build-up. There will be no mysterious quivering in the air. There's not going to be a warning rapture in 30 minutes. Please make sure you're ready. In an instant, the Bible says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed and the church will be gone the rapture will be sudden but it will not be secret a million conversations will end mid-sentence a million phone calls will suddenly have nobody on the other line 
A man will reach for his wife's hand and nobody will be there. A mother will feel the horror of kissing empty air as her baby just disappears from the blankets that she was holding him in. A man will turn with a laugh to slap his buddy on the back and his hand will move through empty air. A backslider will turn to joke with a friend and suddenly feel the fear that he has spent a lifetime avoiding. The fear when the preacher's voice falls silent forever. The rapture will be selective. Jesus Christ is not coming for everyone. He's only coming for his church. Some will be taken and others will be left behind to endure the great tribulation. The world only thinks that it has seen tribulation. But the day is coming when the worst traumas in human history will be eclipsed by a seven-year period that will be more terrifying than anything man could ever imagine. The events of the tribulation are so evil and so grotesque that they would be inconceivable except Jesus mentioned it himself. He said, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not has been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The tribulation, my friends, will be such a holocaust because it will combine the wrath of God and the fury of Satan and the evil nature of man run wild. If you could take the horror of every war that has ever happened since time began, throw in every natural disaster in recorded history and combine it with the unspeakable cruelty and the hatred of dictators and despots, your Hitlers and your Stalins throughout the ages and then compress it into a seven-year period. Even if you could imagine such a thing, it still would not approach the mind-boggling terror of the tribulation. I don't know about you, but I thank God for the rapture. Because God did not promise to save us from daily trials. He did not promise to save us from daily circumstance. He didn't promise that our life would be easy, but He did promise that He would exempt His church from the day of His wrath. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible says this, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or whether we sleep, we shall live together with Him. My friends, no matter what it costs, we must be ready for the rapture. No matter what you have to lay aside, we have to be prepared. It is life's greatest appointment. And if you are late, you miss it. 
You have to do everything you can do to not miss it. The problem, my friends, with books and films like the Left Behind series is that they give people a false sense of security with regards to the rapture. They kind of leave you with the impression that if you miss the rapture, it's okay, there is a chance that you might be able to get saved afterwards. And even though you suffer through the tribulation, you can still be a part of God's church and you will still end up in heaven. But my friends, can I tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Don't be dulled. Don't be lulled into a false sense of security. Don't be deceived by other people's mistakes because your eternal destiny depends on it. There are two, I mentioned it at the beginning of this life class, there are two fatal errors that many people seem to believe and they are promoted by books like the Left Behind series. Here's the first one. My friends, you cannot be saved just by praying the sinner's prayer. You have to obey the gospel. You have to obey the gospel. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 3 and verse 5. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is no option. There is no recourse. There is no other way. We have to be born of the water. We have to be born of the Spirit. Amen. And Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive for the remission of sins. And you shall receive Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have got to be water baptized. That is what it means to be born of water. You have got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be born of Spirit. Without them, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Water baptism puts you into Christ. And receiving the Holy Ghost puts Christ into you. You have to have a second spiritual birth to avoid your spiritual second death. That's the first lie they tell you. You can just be saved. Just, just accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. Congratulations, you're saved. Our relationship with God is only conceived at repentance. It begins at repentance. But that's where the sinner's prayer ends. You still have to be born of water and born of the Spirit. Here's the second thing, the second deception the second misunderstanding, the second lie that is promoted by so much of Christianity and these books like Left Behind. Even if you know the Bible way of salvation, you cannot be born again after the rapture. You can hear the preacher preach the gospel for years, but one day, 
once the rapture happens. It doesn't matter if you get baptized. It doesn't matter if you start trying to live a holy life. It doesn't matter if you say, oh, I've missed it. Now, God, I will go to church every Sunday. Now, God, I'll be faithful. Now I'm going to too late. Even if you know the Bible way of salvation, once the rapture happens, you cannot be born again because the church will not be here for the tribulation. The tribulation was never designed for the church. It was designed for the nation of Israel so that Israel would see we need our God. And, and you know, that is the most common, I'm, I'm aware of the time, I'm trying to go fast. That is the most common error in biblical interpretation is confusing the church and Israel. This is where many cults derive their false teaching. The Bible refers to saints during the tribulation, but it's not talking about the church. It's talking about Jewish people, along with the Gentiles from the nations of the world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and never had a chance to obey the gospel prior to the rapture. And it's important to notice two things about these. First, they are going to suffer horrible persecution and death during the tribulation. And when you study it out, you realize that even after all of that suffering, they will still never be a part of the church. The very best that they could ever hope for is that they are saved to live on a new earth that is created after. The same Bible that tells us we can't be saved unless God's Spirit draws us also tells us that His Holy Spirit will be removed from earth during the tribulation period so that the Antichrist can be revealed. So the new birth experience is impossible. There is no Holy Spirit to fill your heart once the rapture has happened. John 4, 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. We can't do it outside of Jesus Christ, amen? And then 2 Thessalonians tells us this. It says, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. My friends, the one world order, the one world religion, maybe even the Antichrist is already in the world right now today. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. But he is restrained because God is not ready for him to be revealed yet. And so the Holy Spirit restrains him. But the moment that rapture happens and the church is gone and the Holy Spirit is gone, nothing will stop all of that beginning to happen. Amen. One of the most moving scenes in one of the movies, the Left Behind movies, is where a backslidden pastor who missed the rapture accepts Christ at the altar of his now empty church. The problem with that scene is not the characters, it's not the dialogue, it's not the lighting, it's not the set, it's not the special effects. The problem is that it's fiction. It's not going to happen. Imagine now then for a moment, if you will, the double horror of millions of so-called Christians who believe right now that they are saved. It is going to be horrifying enough 
for them to miss the rapture that they sung about or they preached about or that they dismissed and said no 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 that's not going to happen everything's going to continue on as it is but then imagine the unspeakable terror when they fall to their knees and they lift their hands like they've been told to do and they feel nothing because God's presence is gone and God's spirit will no longer be able to draw them you see in Jesus parable in Matthew chapter 25, all of the prospective brides were virgins, all 10 of them. They all expected the bridegroom. They all slumbered, but only five had oil. The only reason that Jesus told this parable was to warn us that it is possible to believe that you are ready for his coming and yet in reality not be ready. And so if we turn down our chance, if you turn down your chance to be saved on this side of the rapture, my friends, you are in the most dangerous position you could ever imagine. The Bible tells us this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. We started out at the beginning of this morning talking about truth. There are people out there who have not received a love for the truth. They don't want the truth. They want the preacher to tell them something nice. They want to hear how God will bless them. And God wants to prosper them. And God wants to pour out blessings blessings on your life and what you don't own your own business yet well I prophesy that you will own your own business amen that's not what it's about it's about truth it's about truth because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved and for this reason God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness my friends the only safe option for you and for me is to make the right choice and we've got to make the right choice soon today after church do whatever you need to do to make sure that you are ready for the rapture second Corinthians chapter 6 as we all stand this morning 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, Paul says, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I want to finish this morning before we pray with this question. Are you ready for the rapture? How are you going to feel if you're not ready and it happens? And you cast your mind back to Sunday the 29th of May. And you think, Pastor told me about this. How did I miss it? How did I not listen? How did I not obey the gospel? Are you living a holy life in the unholy society that we live in? Are you evaluating how you spend your time? The things that are your priority in life. Are you reaching for people? Are you trying to reach somebody? Come on, you've got to be saved. You've got to come to the Lord. You can't just keep floating along like nothing's going to happen because one day it will. It's coming. 
And that's what I mean when I say that it is both with heavy-heartedness and with great joy I can teach a message like this. Because I have great joy in my heart. I can't wait for the rapture. It is the greatest hope I have in my life. I get up most mornings and I say something like, Jesus, you can come now if you like. I'm ready. I want to go. I'm ready to go. But I want to stay. Because there's other people I can reach. But the day is coming when the curtains will be closed, the church will be gone. And that will be it. Are you ready for the rapture? Let's lift our hands, lift our voice. Precious Jesus, Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm grateful for the greatest hope that we have as a church, Lord God. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you are coming to take us home, Lord. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more heartache. There'll be no more issues, Lord God. We will be around the throne worshiping you, singing, Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor and power and majesty and dominion, O Lord. And when we have finished worshiping you, we can do it again, Lord God, for we will have all of eternity to look forward to in your presence, Lord God. Oh, what a joy. Oh, what a thrill, Lord God, to know, Jesus, that you are coming back to take us home, Lord God. And Lord, I pray, God, as well for those people, Lord, who, Lord, as I pray for them, Jesus, I have a burden in my heart and a heaviness in my soul, Lord God. Lord, that they would understand that time is short, Lord Jesus. Oh, yeah, I know friends are important. Social gatherings are important. Sport is important. Education is important. Everything is important until the trumpet sounds and the church is gone. And then all of a sudden the priorities will be revealed to just be shaky ground and nothing that you can build your life on. Jesus, get a hold of our hearts. Get a hold of our young people, Lord Jesus. Set them on fire with your spirit, Lord, to know that they must be ready for you, that you are going to be here at any moment, Lord God. Help the parents, Lord to lead their families, Lord, to draw closer to you. Help, help me, Lord God. Help my family, Lord Jesus. Help us be ready for you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Jesus, right now for the backsliders, Lord God, the people who have come into this truth, Lord God, who know what the Bible says and have just grown colder. They lost their first love. They lost their love for the truth, Lord God. Bring them home, Lord God, so that they can be ready when the trumpet sounds, Lord. We know not the hour nor the time, Lord Jesus, when you will come. But your word shows us, Jesus, that it is coming soon. We see the signs of the times around us, Lord God. So we wait with hope, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we seek with urgency, Lord God. Jesus, help us, Lord, to catch a hold of what we've learned today, Lord. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, praise your Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Praise the Lord. God bless you. I am. Um...